So I'm sitting down with some of my friends and what we're talking about, we're, we're, we want to dig in a little bit and take a look at Jesus, his teaching on the Sermon on the Mount. And the big question is his teaching on sexual ethics. The way that we should start this conversation is by just taking a second to really define what do we even mean by sexual ethics? I mean, it, it's, it is kind of fascinating that we live inside of a culture that's sex obsessed. Mm -hmm. And yet it's, there's probably not a lot of people sitting down over coffee talking about sex ethics in our city right now. So yeah. no. <laughs> I, I would love to just jump in and Matthew, maybe you can help us out. Yeah. How, do we, how do we even understand what that phrase means? Yeah, well, so it, Christianity has taken it for quite a long time that there are purposes in human sexuality and that those purposes should be good, right? that sex is for a good and that sex mm -hmm. is to be rightly expressed and that there are that means that there's limitations to it that there's a proper context for it there's a proper shape to it mm -hmm. and christian scripture has described what that looks like you know yeah. it's uh, supposed to be between man and woman and covenantal marriage and uh, even within that parameter right god, mm -hmm. god shaped as it is there's actually still norms like ethical mm -hmm. norms to uphold right we mm -hmm. don't use one another as uh, just an instrument of desire satisfaction but actually that there's meaningful ethics even within the confines and limits of marriage you know mm. so but the the big idea has always been that there's there's something that marriage is for there's something that's that human sexuality is for and yeah. it has a proper expression and christian theology generals tried to give shape and expression to that that's great yeah and so even talking about sexual ethics from a christian perspective uh it's probably it's probably a common understanding mm -hmm. that our world doesn't really think of having a sexual ethic, but is that true? Like, does, does our world actually operate out of their own sex ethic? No, it, it absolutely has an ethic, yeah. I mean, it's it, one effort, modern, distinctly modern effort, has been to try to emancipate society from what were just described as traditional mm -hmm. norms, you know, old ways of acting, old ways of behaving. Mm -hmm. But it turns out that getting rid of those, jettisoning them, just meant adoption of new ones. Mm -hmm. That there would be something that normatively guides society, and so also human sexuality, and that's become much more fluid, and yeah. the more that society has become sort of de-Christianized, naturally the sexual mores have shifted as well, and become much more about preferential appetite, mm -hmm. much more mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. um, fluid perceptions, changing senses of self, mm -hmm. um, cultural, distinct cultural shifts that mm -hmm. sort of happen at tectonic level. So yeah. there's absolutely norms in place. It's just that they are now new ones, right? Yes. Uh, or maybe just old ones repackaged, but certainly not Christian ones. Yeah, yeah. So there's a huge gap between what we might classify as Jesus and his teaching on sex ethics yeah. and then what our world would currently see as That's right. this is the yeah. value mm -hmm. that we hold. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it'd be great to have you guys jump in on this. I mean, how do you, as, as uh, both single women living inside of this culture? Like what are some of the things that you're start starting to spot and notice about even the, the way of the world and their, their message in terms of sex and sexuality? What are some of the things you're seeing? Yeah, there's this dynamic that has happened where, you know, in the Christian ideal, sex is created for being fruitful, but also for flourishing mm -hmm. for the mm -hmm. two individuals that are participating to flourish in that relationship. And so much of what I see in the world is this dynamic, instead of being fruitful and flourishing, it's power mm. and, and pleasure, mm -hmm. you know? Um, the dynamic of power takes over in sexual relationships mm -hmm. so much more prevalent than it does in mm -hmm. Christian marriage. Mm -hmm. um, and then the yeah. dynamic of my own self-pleasure and what I want and what experiences satisfy me, yes. so much more of it is centric about 
not the union of two people, but mm. the idea of what I can get out of this. And so mm. even in the spaces of being a single person in the world, mm. trying to balance the dynamic of power and pleasure kind of rule all of our ethic, not just sexually. Mm. Um, and so trying to merge that with a sexual ethic of Christianity is impossible. Mm. Um, yes. So it really comes down to choosing which one you're going to follow. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, I would say, I think in the church specifically, we see kind of, and even in culture, there's this avoidance of the topic of sex, mm. um, especially with like children um, and growing up in a family where um, parents are really scared to have that conversation with children. And so then yeah. therefore we grow up like learning about sex through um, our friends, through the internet. Yes. Um, yep. That's like mostly how kids are finding out about it nowadays. And so there's not even this like this is healthy and this is not, this mm-hmm. is what someone, this is what healthy like relationship looks like. Um, because if we wouldn't, if we knew that, I think we wouldn't see the type of like, just like sexual devastation we see in our culture today. Yes. Um, there's like no limits, um, especially when mm-hmm. like children, teenagers are learning this and then growing up into adults and never having these conversations. So um, I see, I think the brokenness like often is like developed in childhood. Yes. And then yep. it's just like never dealt with. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a blessing if it does get dealt with. I mean, it's really rare, but, and mm-hmm. so I'm thankful for that. Um, and there yeah. are churches that actually are like discipling in that way. And um, I think we need more of that. Um, mm-hmm. But I definitely think that um, just a lot of, a lot of that does come from just like that lack of just the, the wanting to like talk about it and talk about mm-hmm. what is actually good and what is right. Yes. About that. Yeah. That's so good. It, it seems like it's almost it's almost as if our culture has taken the gift of sex mm-hmm. and it's now as important as food mm-hmm. and as important as water and as important as oxygen and mm-hmm. and so it's it, it feels like there's just this new level of prominence put on sex that mm-hmm. maybe historically has not been there. Mm-hmm. I'd love to hear you kind of speak into what are some of the how did we get here yeah. as a culture like we didn't just wake up. Yeah. And, and have a significant shift. What are some of the things that have happened to where maybe we're even seeing ourselves yeah. as people differently and how we approach that gift? Yeah, on one level, sexual appetites are sort of the same, you know, that we've always, yeah. they've always had them, they've always been powerful, yeah. and they've always been just real strong drivers of human action. But there's, there's also been some more recent developments that mm. sort of indicate that there's a, a new level of obsession mm-hmm. But also that obsession is kind of connected to the new level of license, you know. And um, over the early part of the 20th century, um, there was a prevailing view that, you know, if you, or I should say an emerging view that became the prevailing one, that actually if you um, try to suppress your sexual appetites, you're doing, you're doing yourself wrong, mm. right? It's just a certain mm. kind of disorder. And the, yeah. the more you suppress your sexual appetites and these drives that you're actually hurting yourself, you're hurting your psyche. This is sort of mm. you know, the basic Freudian insight, you know. And, but that, that turns out to also have an inverse that lots of the appetites we have are born out of disordered love, right? Yes. That it's not a disorder yeah. to, to, to say no to sexual appetites. Um, the question is, is prior that why do we have them and mm-hmm. why do we seek to um, let them dominate us and that sort yes. of thing. Yeah. So the how we got here story is really complicated, but one of them is that uh, there's just a new level of license and mm-hmm. so part of it's attributable that that de-Christianization shift that we've been seeing over the last generation or so. Mm-hmm. But there's also just a sense that it's always before us. Yes. Uh, and the, the new levels of saturation on mm-hmm. devices at home, right, everywhere, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, gives us over time a deep formative sense that uh, this is what's most important to us. And if you were to sort of look around the, at the artifacts of culture, you would think that 
yeah. one of the things we care most about is our sexuality and mm. particularly the acting on whatever particular individual premonition I have, right? And yes. no one should be able to tell me um, mm. what sex is good for except me. Mm. Mm. Um, and that norm that you can do whatever you want so long as it doesn't hurt anybody else is not, a, not actually a very good one. It's, yeah. It turns out to have all kinds of catastrophic baggage that's carried mm. with it. Yeah. Um, but that's a, so anyway, that, that, that story of how we got here is really complicated, but a lot of it has to do with the giving over to a certain kind of license, which is, which is actually meant personal and social catastrophe in a lot of instances. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And you said something that is really interesting that I want to circle back around to. And actually I want to read something that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, because it's this idea that if we say no to some of the appetites that we have sexually, Mm -hmm. we're actually hurting ourselves. Mm -hmm. And yet you just take a look at Jesus. Let me read this. He says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So he's even going now outside of actual action. Mm -hmm. Now we're talking about heart motive and reality. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on, he says, this is, this is where it gets almost, almost bizarre to our culture. He says, if if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away Mm -hmm. for it's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. That's Matthew 5, 27 through 30. So yeah. that's that like really tough, crazy passage it feels mm-hmm. like on the surface. And yet what he's saying is like, actually, you, you do need to say no. Mm-hmm. You, do, you do need to, in some ways, deny some of those, um, those raw, uninhibited mm-hmm. appetites. So I'd love to, what do you think about that? Like, how do, you, yeah. how do we reconcile mm-hmm. kind of what culture is saying with what Jesus clearly is saying? Yeah, I think it speaks to what Matthew was saying earlier. There's this dynamic that happens for a person when they choose their own way, mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. even if it isn't hurting someone else, there's some internal struggle, mm-hmm. some internal strife and damage that's happening. Yes. And so Jesus is pointing to that. It's not just the action of adultery. It's what's happening in your soul and in your heart and your mm-hmm. mind that shifts and forms these new patterns of thinking, these new ways of then acting because yes. of the choices that we make internally beforehand. And I think the world is so... Um, just adverse to thinking about what's actually happening in our souls, what's happening in our hearts. It's just about action and outcome. Mm -hmm. And for us as believers, we know that there's something deeper that's happening in each person's soul when they're making decisions. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's what Jesus is pointing to is to help us recognize the internal damage that can be done when we Mm -hmm. choose a way outside of the way that he's shown us is the one that leads to life. And it's not just um, the death of action. It's like the death of soul. Mm -hmm. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that's really good. It's almost like we've started to define freedom a little mm-hmm. bit differently too, mm-hmm. where in the past freedom was seen as you have these external uh, oppressions mm-hmm. that could hurt you and harm you, but you also have some internal things that yeah. could hurt you and harm you. And so to be free is to push away from those external things that could hurt us, but it's also to have a, a sense of self that means I could also do some things that are really, really harmful to my own soul. Mm-hmm. And the new sense of freedom feels pretty different, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It almost feels like to be free now means the world's the canvas for me to just portray whatever I want to mm-hmm. portray to the world. Yeah. So in light of that, let's, let's talk about this. All of our professions, um, as a professor and as a pastor, as someone that's working in an amazing nonprofit, someone that's working with women in our city and doing a lot in the church and out of the church in the city, we almost have kind of a front row seat into the brokenness of mm-hmm. what happens when we don't take what mm-hmm. Jesus says, both in the Sermon on, on the Mount and then just 
holistically what scripture teaches us, we get a front row seat into the chaos and the dysfunction. I'd love for you just to take a second and unpack, how are you seeing this? How are you seeing what happens when people decide that they wanna be their own uh, savior and Lord and teacher? Mm-hmm. What, what's, the, mm-hmm. what's the outcome of that? And, and how are you seeing that? Um, I mean, I can speak on just what we do. So um, again, the Dragonfly Home operates as um, a relief and restoration center for victims of human trafficking. So that means sex and labor trafficking. Yes. Um, I'll specifically speak on sex trafficking today. Um, but if we look at what the law defines as sex trafficking, it um, under the Trafficking Victims Protection Act, um, there has to be that element of commercial sex. So that means that something mm-hmm. is being exchanged or um, bought in, um, in exchange for something else. So mm-hmm. um, there's that like exchange of goods, whether that's drugs, money, um, like other, other types of va- things of value. Um, and then there mm-hmm. also has to have be those elements of force, fraud, and coercion. And so... Um, just to set the stage of like what has to be in that um, or if the victim is under the age of 18 it's automatically sex trafficking so there actually doesn't have to be those elements of force fraud and coercion mm. um, so um, I think it's important to say that um, sex trafficking effect it does not discriminate um, so I think we typically in culture see that um, it affects young girls or it affects mm. um, you know people of vulnerable populations and while we do see that a lot I think it it's important to know that like any person is, I mean, could it could happen to anyone. Um, I think it's also important to say that like um, it does happen here in Oklahoma. Mm. Um, so a lot of people think like this is something that's happening over in Europe or over in Honduras or in India. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually hope, um, happens here in Oklahoma. So I was explaining earlier that um, the Dragonfly Home actually mostly serves clients who were born in Oklahoma, raised in Oklahoma and trafficked in Oklahoma. Wow. Um, and so we haven't, we still do serve other people, but that is mostly what we see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think um, to come around to that is a lot of people believe that that issue happens because of the highway system. So we hear a lot about mm. I-40, I-35 crossing, and that is like the reason we're having the sex trafficking issue. Um, but I think like every state and every city has highways. Um, so that can't be the reason that we're having this issue. Yes, um, yeah. I think the reason is because there's a demand in Oklahoma for um, illicit sex. Mm. Um, so 99% of purchasers are men. Um, mm-hmm if you are women, um, and we see that people are just willing to buy this and to um, exploit people. Mm. Um, We also see that a lot of the people that we serve, um, if not all of them, um, were in relationship with the person that trafficked them, um, Mm. sometimes purchased them. Um, So um, there's this like idea in the media right now that like people are being abducted from Hobby Lobby parking lots and Walmart parking lots. We've actually never seen that at the Dragonfly home. So we've Mm. always seen it someone that the victim knew or the survivor knew. Um, So that could look like um, a mom or a dad needs to pay rent um, or needs to um, feed their drug addiction. And so they will sell their child. Um, That can also look like um, someone portraying themselves as a boyfriend, pursuing a relationship with the young girl. And then Mm. um, that's not actually what ends up happening. It's not actually a relationship. It's actually um, exploiting that individual and selling them for sex. So um, I think it's important to know that 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 is a result of... Um, what sexual brokenness can look like. Um, and that can start off in a lot of areas depending on who the person is. Every situation is different. Mm-hmm. Um, every trafficker is different. Every survivor of human trafficking is different. So it's important to know that it's not 
necessarily in a box, but it does yeah. not discriminate, um, yeah. though, though a lot of traffickers will prey on vulnerability, such as what I talked about earlier, um, parents not educating their children, um, kids not knowing what is right and what is not, like mm -hmm. how to be treated, um, what healthy like relationship looks like. They don't know these things, so traffickers know that, and they will prey yes. off of those vulnerabilities, yeah. um, and anyone could be, um, and that can be men or women, are affected by that as well, um, mm -hmm. boys and girls. So, um, so that is that is something that I see um, all the time. Yes. Um, yeah. We are really busy at the Dragonfly Home, so there's not ever like um, a slow day. Um, this is a need, and this is happening in Oklahoma. And I think, um, but there is there's definitely hope, and like it, it is becoming more of a term. I think more people understand human trafficking nowadays than they did like you know even five years ago. So, mm. man, that's yeah. And and so I think one of the thoughts that people have in their minds is that. Um, Jesus's view of sexuality is oppressive mm -hmm. and it's going to rob us of joy and pleasure. I would love for you just to, how, how, how are you seeing the opposite of that reality? Like if somebody embraces what Jesus says or if they reject it, how, how would you, mm -hmm. how, what would you say to the person that says, oh, if you, if you do what Jesus says, you're going to actually, you're going to rob yourself of freedom and pleasure mm -hmm. and it's going to bring harm. What, what would you say to that person? Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, I would just explain this. I mean, and trafficking is not the only result of, of not, I guess, um, obeying the commandments of Jesus in regards to like our sexuality or our sexual desires. Um, I think that if we take it out of that those confines, and I know that's a word that gets thrown around a lot, but it's like really if we take it out of those limits, mm -hmm. um, then that's when Satan starts to use it. And that's where Satan like definitely had, like the enemy, he, he wants like the, what the Lord has already designed for us. He wants to twist that. Yes. Um, and it may look really like innocent in the beginning, um, but he's going to keep twisting it more and more and more um, where that, that can, doesn't just look like sex trafficking. That could look like sexual assault, rape, mm -hmm. um, and domestic violence. Um, it, it looks a lot of different ways. Um, so I think, I think it's important to know that like Jesus like said those things for a reason. Um, his words were not empty and he didn't just do that to like not, like allow fun in our lives. Like he actually said, like, like, because if you will keep these commandments, like your joy and your freedom will abound. And so mm. I think if we just remember that, which is a lot harder um, than I think we mm -hmm. talk about, um, it's, I think it's, there, there's a reason he said that. And I think it's out of like his love and his protection for us. Cause we see yes. where we take this um, out of, out of like what he is like put out for us. Mm -hmm. And it just, it like, again, like the enemy will just use it and twist it until yeah. it's just something that's violent and hurtful and causes a lot of trauma. So, yeah, that's, that's really good. Thank you for sharing that. I, I would love to, uh, to hear from Corey and from Matthew on this one. As I think about just the, the cultural moment that we find ourselves in, um, especially with the work that you do with students mm -hmm. at OBU and just students in general, and then the work that you do with a lot of our single men and women at mm -hmm. church, what are some of the what are some of the unique challenges that you're seeing right now, just in terms of helping people along as they mm -hmm. try to follow Jesus in all areas of their life, including their sexuality? And then what are some of the, the opportunities that you think we might have in this particular moment? Yeah, I think, um, you know, listening to what you were saying, one of the mm -hmm. things that I notice in people is that they separate the things that they consider like the underbelly of 
of sex and sexual ethic, like human trafficking and rape and domestic violence Mm -hmm. from their own personal behavior. Mm -hmm. And they don't see the connection that like Mm -hmm. the, the way that I sin and the way that I think can lead to things like this. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, And that there isn't this gigantic gap between the behavior of someone who's buying sex and the behavior of a person who's, uh, who's like stepping into their own space of lust or their own space of, um, you know, just seeking their own pleasure for their own good. And I see that in very small ways when it comes to things like uh, online dating and the way it's been commercialized Mm -hmm. and you have to pay Mm -hmm. and the way that you have to, you know, swipe and swipe and swipe. You're consuming people in a Mm -hmm. way that we weren't designed to consume each other. And those things can be used for good but they also can easily lead us down a path that just puts us in a space where we don't mm-hmm. um, know how to build relationships well anymore. Mm-hmm. And yes. so I think one of the challenges that we face a lot in, um, you know, especially in the church and dealing with singleness is trying to help people understand that relationships are possible outside of sexual relationships mm-hmm. and that relationships yeah. can be good and healthy and thriving and they don't have to include sex. Mm-hmm. And so as a single person, my ultimate desire can't just be for sexual fulfillment if I'm going to honor and believe the things that Jesus says are true about friendship, about family, um, about the church being brothers and sisters. And so for me, I try to challenge people to see what does it look like to build a healthy understanding of how Jesus views Mm -hmm. friendship, how he views family Mm -hmm. um, before I think about how he views marriage or how he views sex, um, Mm -hmm. because those things are not promised. Mm -hmm. And so it can be really difficult in this day and age because there's this temptation to buy into the view that those things are promised to me. And Mm -hmm. if they're not like that promise is not fulfilled then I need to go fulfill it myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so trying to find a way to help people understand that there's more to life than sex. Um, Not saying that sex isn't great. I'm sure it is, but I wouldn't know, (laughs) you know, but there's this real dynamic that there's gotta be more to what God has called us to as people than this one way to fulfill desire. Um, the, the beautiful things that come out of that, there were so many conversations with people who have recognized that there's something else in their life besides sex that can give them fulfillment yes. and that there's so much grace for those spaces where we've already walked into sexual sin or sexual brokenness, places where mm. we've experienced hurt because of the way other people have treated us when it mm. comes to sex, yes. um, places that people have been abused. Like God has a multitude of forgiveness Mm. for the ways we've messed up but he also has a multitude of grace and mercy Mm. for the ways that we've been taken advantage of yes and so i get to walk in conversations all of the time with people where i get to show them the love of christ the love of jesus the way that he heals those wounds that they've experienced yes um i think there's an an easy dynamic for people in the church to move into the space of you know we cause all of the sexual sin and brokenness in our life but that's not true mm-hmm, that's there's right. a very real fact that yes. other people's behavior affects mm-hmm. what happens to us in our own life yes and so we get to be the people who bring healing to those mm-hmm. who've experienced brokenness because of someone else's behavior because mm-hmm. of someone else's choice or sin and we get to help call people to accountability for their own choices and mm-hmm. behavior yep. so um that's a, a huge part of what i think we're called to do as a church not just when it comes to sexual ethic, but to all the way that we live our life as believers, but specifically in this day and age with sex. Yeah, Yeah. that's incredible. One of the things I try to mention, particularly students, I try to alert them to the fact that sex is put before them as a commodity. And and so much of sex today is commodified. And so it becomes a matter of individual choice, individual preference. Mm -hmm. There's a marketplace of choices. 
And as a consumer, you should be able to choose whichever one you want. I mean, that's mm -hmm. the sort of prevailing attitude, you know? And I think it's just important to name that this that's is a problem. Right. Mm -hmm. you know? I mean, when you even ask questions like, how does it happen that mm -hmm. there are, there's a market for individuals who have been trafficked? Yes. There's a market for particularly for people that want to exploit mm -hmm. others in the most pernicious and evil ways. Well, that happens because there's a, there's a wider sense, right? Not, not differentiated in, right this, in exactly this way, but there's a wider sense that, well, that sexuality is really about appetite preference and yeah. that you should be able to treat sexuality in that way, right? And this, mm. this, the swiping and um, the applications, all of this deepens that sense that yes. sexuality is primarily about um, consumption and production. Yes. And it's just, so it's important to name that. And it, it, it has a particular relevance for discussions about pornography, which mm. come up mm -hmm. quite a bit with students mm -hmm. for probably some obvious reasons. Um, I mean, pornography is not anyway new, um, but the particular iteration mm -hmm. of pornography we have available to us now is fairly new mm -hmm. in terms of its ubiquity, mm. um, its technological sprawl, and yep. um, it, it's you know, the root of the word pornography has to do with infidelity, the Greek term porneia. Yeah. So it's, it's, and that's a tremendous, I mean, it's a great irony that, uh, mm -hmm. that has this sort of semantic heritage to it, but it's ruining, it's ruining um, it, it, the, per, the, the good appetites that we have, yes. like, that, that we have sexual appetites is a good. Yes. We have sexual desires is a good. We've created with them. The problem is that is what they're, they're invested in and yeah. the level of control they wield over us mm -hmm. and what pornography does just by its nature is to exploit that mm -hmm. it exploits the desire for its corruption mm -hmm. and the the nature of it is to never stop right yeah. the, the, yeah. the 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 nature of it is always be unending to get more extreme more lewd um and it what happens is it actually ends up searing the appetite so that it's not possible to have mm -hmm. the right kinds of mm -hmm. sexual appetite and not even to yes. really want another real person Yes. But to only want the image, to only want the, the fantasy. Mm. Um, and I talked to lots of young men who, particularly, who are mm -hmm. uh, not exclusively, particularly young men, who, um, who, who feel tremendous guilt and shame, mm -hmm. for one, but who don't want that. This, they don't want it this way. Yeah. They, don't, they don't want to be um, driven so much by these particular sexual appetites. Yes. But they have been born into a culture which is just, this is the status quo. Yeah. And in many instances, they're also sort of sent messages that to be, say, a real man is to act on those, to be, mm -hmm. you know, um, pioneering or to mm -hmm. be dominant or whatever sort of false narrative, false, quote unquote, good that they're given. Yep. And they find it really difficult to resist that. Yep. So they're giving the message. There's all these sort of cultural pressures. And it, the sad thing is that, um, that God has presented to us goods for us sexually, yes. and I think there's real worry that they um, they will not be able to have it as mm -hmm. they really want, and as they mm -hmm. also think as they also really think they need, you yeah. know. Mm -hmm. um, and so now sex is primarily about objectification. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. and it's very difficult at that point. Once sex becomes about objectification, just about desire satisfaction, mm -hmm. and not about mutual love, mm -hmm. right? As the, the the context mm -hmm. for sexual activity is love. That's right. And uh, the objectification is, is actually a degrading of the person. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. To where they become an exploiter, they become just some instrument. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, difficult, you, too, because, you know, that culture has permeated. Um, and in so many ways, we see it, you know, especially pornography prevalent in men, but it's 
increasingly prevalent mm -hmm. in women. Yes. And the the culture that surrounds that, especially for women, is a culture of shame. Mm -hmm. And so women will struggle silently and in isolation, mm -hmm. dealing with their addiction to pornography, dealing with all types of sexual sin mm -hmm. because they feel like um, this isn't something that they can be as open with in yeah. the way that men can be open with this thing mm -hmm. um, because the world promotes that. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to the church and how that sin is shared and even processed in community, mm -hmm. I find a lot of the times that women have a very difficult time admitting that they have struggles in sexual sin, unless it's something like they're sleeping with their boyfriend. Mm -hmm. If they're struggling with pornography or um, mm -hmm. other sexual sins that feel deviant to them in any way, they mm -hmm. won't admit that and actually ask for help. Mm -hmm. And so encouraging people to be honest in community is such a huge part of that. Mm -hmm. yes. Encouraging the conversations like you're having with your students to be conversations that we're having in the church, in our homes, in our communities, to make this not something that's uh, um, outside of our regular dynamic of conversation. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Just even talking about pornography, it, it has this, this habitual practice mm -hmm. that forms the way that we see the world, forms mm -hmm. the way that we see individuals, forms the way that we see ourselves, and affects us at every level. Mm -hmm. I'd love to talk about what are some of the ways that our world is forming us, uh, maybe malforming us in the way that we, we function. I think about Dallas Willard who said spiritual formation is not just something Christians do. Mm -hmm. Spiritual formation is happening to everybody. Mm -hmm. So it could be good spiritual formation or really bad spiritual formation. Mm -hmm. And it does seem like our world is actively discipling us, evangelizing us in a way of seeing sex and porn and mm -hmm. everything that comes with that in a way that's very opposite to Jesus. Mm -hmm. What are some of those ways? There are so many. Yeah, I mean, where do you start? The first, the most obvious is whatever it is we give a tremendous amount of our attention to. And increasingly, yes. we are giving a, a tremendous amount of our attention to media and mm -hmm. to our devices yeah. and, and, and increasingly private environs, you know, where yes. you can be alone or you're away from others. Uh, so, information and messaging mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. images mm -hmm. um, can come come through much more clearly and um, more frequently. Yeah. Uh, so there's just the ordinary that uh, and a tremendous number for a lot of people, um, their ordinary day is, there's just a lot of material and information and image. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just a lot of yes. things for them to consume, you know? For sure. Um, and uh, I mean, there's no, it's going to be really difficult and near impossible for someone to just say like, well, today's my day to stop doing that. Yeah. You know, today's my mm -hmm. day to delete the Twitter app or to whatever it is that someone feels mm -hmm. they're going to do to sort of chasten themselves. It's going to be really difficult to do that on their own. Yes. Um, and increasingly, I think there is, put it slightly differently, there, there's always, there are always going to be pressures. Yeah. These counterformative pressures. Mm -hmm. Yes. To, for us to begin to love something we ought not to love, yeah, yeah. Right? right? To to invest our desire in things which will ruin us, mm -hmm. and that that is just a huge part of the overall cultural messaging. That there are these powers which actually want to destroy, yes, that want to undermine, that want to make us less human, mm -hmm. and to turn other people into less than human, or try to degrade them. Um, and I, I think you know, not, I don't want to sort of capture all of technology into this, but there's just particular mm -hmm. mediums, right, mm -hmm. within technology which are powerfully counterformative and yeah. really disruptive to the heart. 
Um, I think that's just one initial ordinary one and there's others to add to it, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think that that is permeating down into levels of media that we don't even recognize. It's mm -hmm. not just people consuming pornography or mm -hmm. um, direct sex. It's influencer culture of people telling you what's beautiful, mm -hmm. what's valuable, mm -hmm. right. um, what's worth your time, yep. and um, spaces where you would assume that there's not going to be sexual behavior portrayed. Yep. You know, the TV guidelines have changed. The guidelines for movies have changed. Yes. All of these small things that sneak into culture. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's been these waves of popularity in movies that display erotic behavior. That's not yes. sexual behavior. It's just like on that borderline. Yeah. And I think as people, it can be really easy for us to say, well, I don't do this or this or that. Mm -hmm. But don't think about the fact that there are these other influences that are, mm -hmm. are similar enough to where it stirs a desire in us to move towards something that's a little bit um, deeper or a little bit more sexually orientated yes. than what we would have originally consumed. Yeah. Um, I think that there's just such a this idea that permeates all of our culture that truth is relative, mm -hmm. it's my own truth. And because of that, there is no set boundary that we as a culture um, stick to or appreciate. Yes. And so as believers, we've been given some boundaries which are not walls to mm -hmm. wall us off. They're yes. helpful tools for us to be able to say, yeah. this is in line with the gospel. This is for my mm -hmm. thriving and the thriving of those around me. Um, and I think that that's one of the things that we have to see is the spaces where culture doesn't give us those boundary lines. Yes. Yep. And yep. so we try to create them for ourselves, but they're ever expanding and they're ever changing um, yep. and ever shifting. And that makes it really difficult to have any kind of a uh, way to step outside of that back into what we would call like a normal sense of self yes. again. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah, and even even if you think about our world right now, um, the, the, the whole flow of scripture is sin leads to chaos, mm -hmm. sin leads to dysfunction and destruction. How, how are you seeing this? How are we seeing this just show up in our world as our world is saying, no, thanks, Jesus, we've heard what you had to say, but mm -hmm. we want to do it our own way. Mm -hmm. I mean, what are some of the, what's some of the, the uh, artifacts of dysfunction and destruction that we're seeing happen as a result of that? I mean, I think that kind of going back to what Corey said about, I think there's this like need for like validation mm -hmm. um, and um, like specifically through social media or through the internet or um, in our daily lives and specifically with young people. I think I see that a lot of just like, there's this, like if, you know, if you're not having sex or if you're not going to have sex all the time, there's something wrong with you. Mm -hmm. um, and so you should be having it all the time is what culture says. But then also they're saying it has no effect on you and it will do nothing to you. Yes. Um, so it's like yeah. these two, like, um, like, like almost like voices that are screaming out at them. Mm -hmm. um, and that can be really confusing mm -hmm. um, because it's like, okay, I should be doing this all the time. This is what culture is telling me. But it's also saying that like, but it's fine. Like hookups are fine. Yes. Um, going to like sleep with my boyfriend is fine. Like that's all great. Um, but then once they actually encounter that, that's not what they see in the media or that's not mm -hmm. what they're seeing. Like like yes. it, the what the media and the movies and the TV shows are, are like portraying is nothing what they are experiencing. So it just leads to like, this like confusion, this like need, even more need for validation because mm -hmm. like when we're not getting our validation from Jesus or from the Lord, it's like we have to get it somewhere else. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and so there's just this like dire need to like be satisfied and to be validated and to know that like we're enough and like we like are doing the right thing for our lives. And if we're listening to culture and if culture is our God, like we're going to heed to whatever culture says, whether it makes yes. sense or not. So Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we've seen yeah. that permeate 
inside of the church Mm -hmm. and outside of the church. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just because we are in a system that is supposed to be modeled after the gospel doesn't mean that everyone in that system is actually following what Jesus says. Mm -hmm. And so we have recognized in this last bit of culture, we've seen these movements rise up of Me Too and Church Too, where people are sharing their stories of the ways that these um, systems have been broken in the ways that the world has shaped our sexual ethic to Mm -hmm. cause people to um, act out on behaviors that cause other people harm. Mm -hmm. And so thankfully we have people um, in the church now who are being voices, who have been voices for a long time, um, declaring the truth of who God says we are and how we're supposed to treat each other. But we have to be vigilant. We have to be aware of how those things can play out. Um, you know, for us as a church, we spend a lot of time talking about child sexual abuse and training our volunteers and making mm-hmm. sure that we're yes. aware of the signs of abuse in the home, abuse mm-hmm. by leaders and those who are in people's lives, because there are very real dynamics that we can cause um, harm and damage if we don't. Yes. And so we um, have tried to stand in that space of really being cautious, being careful of training people to know what we're looking for, but we recognize that the reason that we have to do that is because there, um, for a long time, have just been people who've taken advantage of this new system that the world has tried to rise up, this idea yes. that sexual ethics don't matter mm-hmm. or that they're everything in a way that Jesus tells us that they're not. Yes. And so for us, we have stepped into that space, not just with mm-hmm. being safe with um, thinking about how to protect children, but also just how to protect each other, mm-hmm. how to stand in, in a space of recognizing when someone's been abused and how to offer them care and counseling and community. You know, um, we were talking earlier just about the need for us to be aware, mm-hmm. but also for us to be accountable, yes. um, for us to mm-hmm. be accountable for our own behavior, but also to be accountable as a community for what we're putting out to people. And yes. so mm-hmm. we want to educate our children. We want to educate each yeah. other. We want to stay constantly vigilant about the ways that culture is shaping our hearts instead of allowing Jesus to shape our hearts. You yes. know, what you were saying earlier yeah. about um, we're, we're all being spiritually formed by something. You know, the world is worshiping something too. Mm-hmm. And yes. we have something to worship that actually brings life, mm-hmm. that actually brings wholeness and healing. And so I think that if we understand that Jesus has called us to be the champion of the vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but he's also called us to be accountable for our own behavior so that we don't make people vulnerable, then that will be something that can bring life back to a space that the world has brought a lot of darkness. Yeah, Mm -hmm. that's right. What what do you say to the person who uh, is kind of walking in this DIY spirituality where Mm -hmm. they say, you know, I love Jesus and I want to follow Jesus, and I can get behind, you know, this idea of grace and forgiveness. And there's a lot about him I really love. But then this little bit over here about his teachings about sex and sexuality, it feels outdated, it feels oppressive. What do you say to that person? The first thing that comes to mind is that Jesus' invitation to discipleship isn't compartmentalized. It doesn't yes. have a bunch of caveats and stipulations to it. It doesn't say mm. it doesn't have footnote C exception C and <laughs> it just it's just the call on the whole person. Yes. So the 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 disciple of Jesus has laid down their lives, right, at the yes. cross, has yeah. given themselves fully and yeah. all of their person over to yeah. Jesus. So the person who's a disciple can't say that they're an American Christian or a male Christian or mm. a white Christian or what but I'm I'm first Christian because of this relationship I share mm-hmm. with Jesus Christ. Yes. And so then everything else that I am 
mm. is to be rightly ordered by him, right? He yeah. will like, rightly order it. But that means I've, I've laid all that down. I've ra- laid down these identities, whatever yes. they are. Yeah. Uh, but also, like in this context, I lay down also my sexuality. I, I, mm. I lay down the appetites I have and ask him to reform them. Yeah. But I don't leave them out just because there's some sort of cultural pressure for me to sanct- sort of sacralize them. But yes. And culture will do that. I mean, one, yeah. of the, one of the um, tendencies in culture is to try to baptize things in its own way, in its own mm-hmm. guise, which mm-hmm. are actually reserved in their, in their right and proper expression, are reserved for right, a, a Christian end. And mm-hmm. um, so, I mean, the, the first thing I say is that that's just not Jesus' message. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's straightforward. Yeah. It's that uh, he, when, he, when he calls us, he calls all of us to himself oh. and yeah. then promises to do good with us. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's so good. One of the most important sections of the Sermon on the Mount to me, I think, uh, that really frames up the whole rest of the teaching of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is that idea of salt and light. And so just as we wrap this up, what are what are the ways that we can encourage and form people uh, to be salt and light in their sexuality, both as single people and as married people, young and old? How do we how do we help fight for and produce salt and light in a in a world that feels really dark with this issue? Yeah. I think one of the things that Matthew was saying is so important is that um our sexual ethic and understanding of how God views sex is not compartmentalized from the rest of our faith. Mm-hmm. And so even as we're engaging people, whether they're believers or non-believers, we can't highlight this issue above any other mm-hmm. issue that mm-hmm. they're facing in their life. So as a believer, if I'm um, having conversation with someone who does not follow Jesus and has a completely different sexual ethic and understanding than I do, their um, identity is wrapped into their understanding of who they are as a sexual being, I can't make that the center of our conversation. Mm -hmm. The center of the conversation is the fact that we're all broken Mm -hmm. and that we all have a very real need for someone to come and write everything in us that's wrong. And that person is Jesus. And Mm -hmm. he does it through his work on the cross. Mm -hmm. And then he does it through sanctifying us. And that process can be a long Mm -hmm. process. It's not going to be an automatic shift. We have Mm -hmm. to unlearn all of the things that we've learned, all of the things that we've built up around the truth of the gospel. Um, There's a very you know, strong tendency in Christian culture right now to deconstruct our faith. Mm -hmm. And so much of what that is, is people taking the parts that they know are not of God out of their understanding of who he is, all of the false teaching and dead religion. But so many times we actually take the things that we know are true, the things that we know are actually right with the gospel and take those and throw them out too. And God is calling us to believe the whole of his word um, and not pick apart those things. And so I think that for us, when we're talking specifically about sex, we have to take the whole of what Jesus says, the whole of how he responds to those who are dealing with sexual issues all across the gospels um, as part of our understanding, not to select certain verses or certain passages and throw other ones out, but to really have an understanding that from the beginning of Genesis to the end of the Bible that God has laid out of view for us that is uh, right, but that leads to wholeness. And that if we think about it in that perspective, it'll be a lot easier to have these conversations and to live this this life. Yeah, that's good. Guys, thank you so much. Thanks for taking time, Corey, Marla, Matthew. Uh, it was just a real pleasure to sit and pick your brain on this stuff.